Good morning. Good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Marvin Thomas, the, one, the campus pastor here, and it is my joy to be able to come and share the word with us this morning. <clears throat> this last week, we started a new series we titled Artificial Christmas, and the idea behind this, as we talked about last week, was simply this. There's a lot of feelings around this time of Christmas or around this season. Feelings of joy, feelings of hope, feelings of, uh, of peace and of wanting the world to be a better place, wanting our lives to be better lives, wanting our families to be more family and, and less of the drama and more of the love. And we want all of these things, but sometimes we realize it's a bigger, a bigger task than it is. Sometimes we get to the month of January and we realize as we're putting the tree away and we're, as we're putting the ornaments back into, into the boxes, suddenly we feel a little void, a little, huh, the blues are starting to settle in, especially as we get into the months of February and March, especially here in Massachusetts, you know how that feels, where those months are long. It never ends, and you feel that, and the joy, and the hope, and all of the feelings that we had around this time of Christmas suddenly feel so distant and not there anymore. And so the question is, what happened? What, what, is, what were those feelings about? Were they real or artificial? Much like our decorations, were, were they meant to last, or were, were they there for a season? Were they something that we created or what we try to conjure up and we try to make ourselves feel that way? Or was that something that we truly feel, truly embody, truly live out? And so that is the question we want to deal with this morning. And so as we, as we start this, I have a quick question for you. What are you hoping for this Christmas? I know some of you have already thought through that. Some of you have maybe journaled in, into, into a journal somewhere. You've prayed those prayers. Or maybe you've had conversations with your kids and, and you know exactly what they're hoping for. If you come to the Thomas household and you ask our kids, uh, Judah and Ava, Ava doesn't really have an answer. She's, one, she's a year old. But Judah, uh, he does. He has an answer. He knows exactly what he's hoping for. And it's evidenced by the fact that this year Amazon and uh, Target sent us paper catalogs. The worst thing that could have happened at our house. Because we gave it to Judah and said, hey, Judah, why don't you, you tell us what you want? And on that entire catalog are scribbles. And you'll see, I want this, I want this, I want this. Everything Paw Patrol is circled and colored. And it is, it's, that's his hope. Is that we'll get it all for him. His hope is that he'll wake up Christmas morning and there will be a ton of presents for him. What's your hope? For this Christmas, what do you, what's the anticipation that's building up within you as you come into this season? Like I said, there are a lot of feelings that revolve around this time. There are few emotions that are as powerful as hope. It's a spark you feel inside that brings joy and it brings a smile to your lips and you feel it, right? If you can imagine with me, you're, you're a high schooler. You have about a week to go before summer break. You know that feeling? 
of, oh man, it, these next two months are going to be incredible. Or maybe you're an adult and you're in the working world and you're about three hours away from signing off and you know you're, on, you're headed off to a cruise somewhere. And it's going to be fantastic. You, you have that feeling of just joy and hope that's building up within you. Or maybe you know that something good's happening in your, in your household. Maybe it's a child that you've been waiting for and, you're, and, and you're, you're pregnant and you know that baby's coming soon. And that hope and that joy is building up within you. Hope is something that is integral to the human experience. It's something that we cannot live without. Someone put it this way. A person can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, but not a single minute without hope. When hope is taken away, another person put it this way, we cease to live. We often, for to replace that hope, we'll turn to places We'll turn to things, trying to bring hope and meaning and, and want and all of that back into our lives, and somehow it's destructive. And when hope is truly taken away, you've seen the effects of it in your own communities, in your own circles, in your own households, perhaps, of when people truly feel hopeless. Harvard did a study, and they realized that now, especially during this season or during this, this, these years, more than half of adolescents claim that they feel depressed. They don't feel hope. We live in a world where there's just chaos and there is brokenness all around us. And the, and the commodity that is so lacking amongst us is hope. But on the other side, also there's another study that says uh, that, uh, that tracked people along the years. And especially young children, when they are met with, with trials, especially at a young age, and as they grow older, one of the things that sets apart the, the people who make it and the people who don't are the ones who had hope that things would get better. The ones who held on and said, I know it's my circumstance now, but one day things will change. Hope has a powerful way of changing us. It may not change our circumstances, but it does a work within us. Hope changes everything. In a room like this, here's what I know. There are three kinds of people. The first is there are some of you that I know, I've talked to a few of you, you are overflowing with hope. You just, everything about you says, I have hope that God will do incredible things. I have hope that this next year is going to be my best year yet. I've enjoyed this year and I'm looking forward to the next. And great, that's wonderful. Some of you are optimistic that way, that's just the way you are. But then there are some of you on the other side. Um, in football, and by football I mean soccer, in, especially in Europe, um, there is a saying amongst the fans. And here's how the saying goes. It's the hope that kills you. Ever heard that? It's the hope that kills you. And fans say it because they know this, that having too much hope in your team is going to be disappointing. Right? Because we're hoping that they will do excellent, that they will, win, they will get to the championship, that they will win, the, they will go all the way. They'll do all of these ex, ex, exciting and incredible things, and yet we know they lose match after match, they get relegated, and, they, and, and it's just, just a dismal experience. And so, guess what? 
it's better not to hope, right? It's better not to have those high expectations because when you don't have the high expectations, you don't have the disappointment. And so a lot of us choose to live that way. A lot of us choose to not maintain those high expectations, especially in our circumstances, sometimes in our relationships, sometimes in our jobs. We, we lower our expectations so that as a coping mechanism or as a protection, we don't want to be disappointed. And so hope is, takes the back seat. But then there is the rest of us who are very cautiously hopeful. Right? We want to be hopeful. We want to believe that things will get better. We want to believe that things will be good. But we've experienced the heartbreak. We've experienced the disappointments. We've experienced the rejections and the interviews that did not go well. And we've lived that life. And we know that there are times to be hopeful and times where we step back. And all of us are in this room. No matter what your experience with hope, here's the thing. All of us need hope. Now, here's one thing I'd like to, like to talk through, is how do you define hope? What does hope look like to you? Because here's what I know. I often, myself, I'll do things, I'll say things like, I wish my Atlanta Falcons will make it to the Super Bowl this year. Right? And I hope that they will do incredibly well. What I'm doing is I'm using both hope and wish almost identical. Right? And sometimes, here's also another thing that I do. I hope that they'll do well. Here's what I'm also doing. I'm tempering my expectations. I'm saying if I were, use the words like hope or instead of saying I know Versus, I expect, we use words like hope, and we say, hey, it kind of gives us a little wiggle room. If they don't do well, I wasn't wrong, you know, and I'm not that disappointed because I kind of expect them not to do well. So I use words like hope. But the question is, what does hope really look like? What is hope according to the Bible? Hope is this. Hope is a strong and confident expectation of good. Keep in mind those words. Hope is a strong and confident expectation of good. If you can contrast it to what we've just been talking about, it's not a wish. It's not a hopeful thinking, or it's not, it's not may, maybe it'll work out this way. But instead, it is strong, it is confident. Because that's how bi the, the Bible, that's how Scripture defines our hope. As a matter of fact, for the Christian, this is what the, the writer of the Hebrews says. The, in, in the book of Hebrews, he's, the author says this. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That doesn't sound like a wish. That doesn't sound flexible. What that sounds like is when the boat is in the water and it needs to stay still in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the, the, the heavy waves, what the, wh whoever's driving the boat is going to drop that anchor. The captain of the ship is going to drop that anchor, and what that anchor is going to do is this. 
It's going to keep that boat still. It's going to keep that boat secure. It's going to keep it in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the waves. That boat's not going to go anywhere. And what is that anchor? It's hope. That's how, this, that's how scripture describes it. Real hope is not vague optimism. Biblical hope not only desires for something good to happen, it expects it. It's an expectation so that when I put my hope in something, it's not that I'm wishing that it happens, but I expect that it will happen. That when we put our hope in God, when we put our hope in Christ, it's not that I, I wonder if he'll get me there. It's no, I know he will get me there. Paul's saying, the one, Paul says this, the one who started the work in you it will do what? He will take it to completion. He will fulfill it. And so my hope is that he will do that. It's not, I wish that he would. But instead, knowing without the shadow of a doubt that he will complete what he has started. That's the sort of hope that scripture talks about. Hope is a strong and confident expectation of good. A few years ago, well, actually about 23 years ago, I bought my first computer. My family bought a f my first computer. And I don't know if you remember desktops, if some of you still have them at home. We, don't, we didn't have laptops back then. This was a compact Presario. Anyone remember that? Okay, you're aging yourselves here. Compact Presario. I mean, that thing had 128 gigs or megabytes of RAM. Megabytes of RAM. And it was top of the line. We loved, I loved it back then. Here's one thing I knew about myself. I love tinkering. I love taking things apart, putting them back together. And here's one thing I know, and my dad knew. And so what we did was when we bought the computer, we also bought a warranty. Because here's what I know. At some point, I'm going to start messing with this thing, and it's not going to work, and I'm going to need help putting it back together. Lo and behold, a couple of years in, or a few years in, I messed with the computer, I was adding, up, adding more RAM or something like that, and the computer stopped working. So guess what? Armed with warranty, I head down to a store. If you remember this store, Circuit City. All right. Some of you have experiences there. So here's my experience. I get there. I didn't realize that Circuit City had declared bankruptcy and shut down all the stores within driving distance of where I was in Atlanta. And now here I am hoping for a computer that would be fixed, holding a computer that is not in front of a door that is closed. See, our hope is only as good as what we put our hope in. Our hope is only as good as the one behind the hope. So often what we do as people is we put our hope in our circumstances. We put our hope in people. We put our hope in our abilities. We put our hope in our experiences. We put our hope in the, in the fact that, hey, things are going well right now. And hopefully they'll go well uh, still. But what, what do we know about life? Life is never steady. Life is going to go up. Life is going to go down. Life is going to knock you around sometimes. Our hope is only as good as the one we're going to put our hope in. 
so here's that statement that I, that I mentioned a few moments ago. Our hope is a strong and confident expectation, but it's incomplete when you don't complete the sentence and say, in whom? So here's how it goes. Hope is our strong and confident expectation in the unchanging nature of God. The unchanging nature of God. See, the Bible is very realistic about our our pain, very realistic about our darkness, very realistic about all of the, the chaos that we experience. As a matter of fact, Isaiah, he's, he's talking about this. Isaiah chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, this is what we read. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. All right, let's pause there. So Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is called to prophecy to the people of Judah, to the people of Israel. Here's his task. These are people, the people that he's talking to, they're oppressed. They're in pain. They're broken. Everything that they had counted on, everything that they had put their hopes on, everything is destroyed. There's no more worship that's functioning. There's no worship. There's no government. Everything is broken because the people around them are oppressing them. So they're truly a people walking in darkness. And to them, God is saying, giving a message through Isaiah, and this is what he says. And he says, a light is coming. A light will shine, and these people who are walking in darkness will be able to see again. And here's what that light is. So if you move down to verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the light that comes in the midst of darkness. The child is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this promise would be fulfilled a few hundred years later in the form of a little baby. A little baby that we just so beautifully portrayed this morning. A little baby born into the most unlikely of circumstances. Into the child that is supposed to bring light. The child that is supposed to bring stability. The child that is supposed to bring deliverance or the promise that is supposed to come comes in the form of the weakest thing possible. A little baby. That was the turning point in history. You see, where once darkness was, once darkness ruled, there came the light came in the form of a baby as we, as we talked about. This baby would grow up. This baby would live a normal life. This baby would be a normal person, go to normal school like all the other Jewish children did, go work as with, all, with their families as all the other Jewish families did. This child would grow up to be a carpenter working with his hands. This child would build things. This child would interact with normal people. And there was nothing spectacular about this child. As a matter of fact, scripture addresses him as average, right? But this child, what are his titles? Mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
And I want to take a t- uh, just real quick touch on a, just a couple of stories of a day in the life of Jesus. All right? So in Luke chapter 8, if you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at just two stories. In the, in the morning, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and he is tired. And so here's where the story picks up. In verses 22 through 25, this is what we read. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, <clears throat> as they sailed he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went down and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? A mighty God. That's who he is. See, the disciples are asking the right question. Who is this man? Right? Who is this? Because he truly is not man because man could not control or could not speak into a situation like that. And that situation calmed down. But you see, for us today, it's not really about the water, or it's not really about the boat, it's not really about the lake, or any of those circumstances. What it is to us, you and me today, you and I have those experiences where life is like what it was on that boat, where suddenly the wind picks up, where suddenly everything is chaos, where suddenly everything that we had hoped and put our trust in is shaking back and forth. Wouldn't it be wonderful, wouldn't it be nice if someone could step in and say, peace, be still. Jesus steps up in that boat and he commands the wind, he commands the the waves, he commands everything and he calls peace, be still. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were able to rely, we were able to hope on a person or on a God that would step into our situations when chaos reigns supreme and declare peace, be still. That's the mighty God of Christmas. Later on, as he continues in the story, the second account is he gets out of the boat, making his way into town, and here's what we read in chapter 8, verses 40 on. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Can you imagine his despair, the pain in his heart as he's watching his only daughter succumb to her illness? Can you imagine what forces a ruler, who won a man of dignity, a man of honor, to come fall and beg Jesus to come to his house? And it continues, the story continues, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Jesus raises this child from death, almost like a parent raising or waking a child up from his or her nap. Jesus is saying, she's only sleeping. Let's wake her up. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was someone who could look at the dead, broken, hopeless situations in our own lives and call out saying, arise, come back to life. Because if we're going to put our hope in someone, if we're going to put our hope in that person or that thing, it ought to be able to function this way. To be able to call peace, to be able to bring life, to be able to do the things that we are unable to do. The things that we traditionally put our hope in, this person or this thing has much bigger power than all of that. What scripture is reminding us is this. If we're going to hope in someone... We hope in Christ. If we're going to hope in someone, we put our trust in Jesus. Because your hope is only as good as the one guaranteeing the hope. Is the one performing behind the hope. Because if they're not able to do it, why hope in it at all? In the New Testament, you constantly see this hope come about. The New Testament believers, the people, the, the followers of Jesus would find hope in the birth of Jesus, would find hope in the life of Jesus, would find hope in the death of Jesus, would find hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Because it is through all of this that you and I are sitting here today, that we are people of hope. That we're able to have hope as an anchor of our soul. That we're able to stand firm when things are awry, when things are broken. That we're able to hold on because of the life of Jesus. Because of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But here's one further thing that I'd like to highlight. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. This is what it says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As a matter of fact, can we all read that, that scripture together? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I wonder if, how many of us believe that truly. Because the, what it's saying is our circumstances may change, but our God doesn't. Our circumstances may change, but the object of our hope does not. That there is no shadow of turning with him. There is no, he is not human that he might lie. There is nothing wrong about him. That when you put your hope in him, that when you go up to him with the warranty saying, I'm here to be fixed, you can be guaranteed that that fixing will happen. That the object of your hope is unchanging, is what the Hebrews writer says. He's the same yesterday. If he calmed the storm yesterday, he calms the storm today. He will do it tomorrow. If he raised the child yesterday, he will raise the child today. He will raise the child tomorrow. That there is no changing with Jesus. Our circumstances will never alter the character of God. No matter what you're facing, that will change. Today will be good. Tomorrow will be bad. The day after may be, may be completely different. But God does not change. 
And so if we're going to put our trust in someone, let it be someone who is unchanging. God remains the same even when everything around us doesn't. God is steady even when we are shifting. God is faithful even when we are faithless. It is because God's character does not change that we're able to put our hope and our trust in him. Hope is a strong and confident expectation in the unchanging nature of God. Richard Sibes is a Puritan preacher, and he wrote this. He wrote a book completely based off of Psalms 42, verse 5. Psalms 42, verse 5. And here's what he's writing. Let's read the scripture first, and then we'll talk about it. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation. Essentially, this is what Richard Sibes is saying. If you're going to preach to yourself a sermon today, let it be a sermon of three words. Hope in God. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're facing, repeat after me. Hope in God. Today, when you go out into your week, I don't know what your week will bring you. What this Christmas looks like in your household. What this Christmas looks like in your life. But here's the words we can remind and we can tell ourselves. Hope in God. That we declare that to ourselves. That we recommend that to ourselves. That we remind ourselves that our hope is in God. That we, and naturally, we are inclined not to do that. And in those moments, like Pastor Rick said, in those moments where we feel the least hope, that we remind ourselves to hope in God. When we feel that all of our circumstances have gone beyond our controls, it's precisely in that moment where we declare, I hope in God. Hope in God. I'm going to call the worship team back up. And as they come back, let's take a moment to think about that. Let's take a moment to assess our own situations. Because here's how hope works. We have to assess what our needs are. So often we, we go into a situation and say, this will make my week better or my day better. Or this is what's going to bring satisfaction to me. And that's our, that's our assessment. And then we place our hope in something. And usually that hope is evaluated by what we can accomplish, right? If I do this... I can go on vacation next year. If I do this, I can get a promotion to this level. If I do this, I'll find the right person. And I wonder how many of our assessments and our hope, our placements are based on what Scripture says versus what we determine for ourselves. So the question for us this morning is, as we make those, as we ask ourselves these questions, as we look at our circumstances, and as we place our hope, because you're going to place your hope somewhere, the question is, where does that hope go? What is that hope based on? What is that hope anchored to? What is that hope holding on to? We're going to put our hope somewhere. And the question for us this morning to deal with is, where is that hope? 
has Christ proven himself to be a reliable object of hope in your life? And conversely, how have the things of this world recently proven to be poor objects of hope? As children of God, as followers of Jesus, that's our call. That we have a strong and confident expectation that things will go as God intends them to. And don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that things will always get better. There will be times where things don't get better, but our hope does not change. Our circumstances may get worse, but the object of our hope is not changing. Because here's what we know. Romans chapter 8 reminds us that even when, our th when things are terrible, even th things are broken, that there is a God behind the situation working it all together for the good of those who trust in Christ Jesus. That there is a God who is at work even in the direst of circumstances. That's our hope. So my question to you this morning is what are you hoping for? And what is that hope based on? What is that hope guaranteed by? Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your grace to all of us. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, a hope that is a firm foundation, a hope that is an anchor to our soul, a hope that will not disappoint, a hope that is guaranteed, a hope that brings us salvation, a hope in a mighty God. Lord, we pray your blessings upon us today. We pray that you would, you would guide us in those moments of chaos, in those moments where everything seems like they're falling apart, I pray that you would help us to direct our hope to you and to you alone. Thank you, God, for who you are and how you work. We ask this, knowing that you've heard our prayers, knowing that you are the object of our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing. My hope is built on nothing less.